Thank you for tuning in to the Sword and Trial podcast. In this episode, Graham and I are going to talk about one of our all-time favorite books, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, That book has been trending on Twitter in recent days, and so we wanted to take the opportunity to commend it and talk about the ways that it has impacted us and how we use it in our pastoral ministry. Uh, You might even say that we're somewhat obsessed with the book. Pilgrim's Progress. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you do, please spread it around to others. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today as we talk about one of our favorite books of all time, and that is the book of Pilgrim's Progress, which we have several uh, copies, different editions Mm -hmm. here on the table with us. And this is just a a mere smattering of what we have in our libraries and certainly of what's available. Graham, when did you first become acquainted with Pilgrim's Progress? Um, The first time I read it, well, I didn't read Pilgrim's Progress. I was a young child, homeschooled, and read like the children's version. Not this children's version. That one wasn't written yet, uh, but one of the old children's versions when I was, I don't know, probably elementary school. Mm -hmm. And then read uh, the original and the original um, English probably at some point in high school. Wow. I probably read it three or four times. Yeah, I uh, I well remember when I was introduced to Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I was in a Greek class in Southwestern Seminary. Curtis Vaughn would read selections to us every day before his lectures. So he'd take about five minutes. He'd just read from Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. And then uh, one day, about, I don't know, two weeks into the course or so, he said, how many of you have never read this book? He said, no, don't raise your hands. It would discourage me. <laughs> he said, but if you've never read this book, you must read it before the week is out. And this was Tuesday, and I'm taking him very literally. And so, man, I go to the bookstore that afternoon, and I said, I, I need this book. Uh, it's on pilgrimage by Paul Bunyan. And, uh, you know, I got, Paul, what? You know, Paul Bunyan? <laughs> um, anyway, he sorted me out, gave me a trade paperback copy of it. I did read it that week. I was blown away. I've read it multiple times since then. I refer to it all the time. I told that story to uh, Tom Nettles, a friend and historian and you know one of the founding members of the Institute of Public Theology here uh, years ago. And he said, oh, oh, yeah. I said, you went to find the Pilgrim's Progress by Paul Bunyan and, and Babe the Blue Ox. You know? <laughs> so, I, mean, I didn't even know enough to understand that reference. But anyway, from that time uh, to now, it's it's just been uh, something that has that significantly influenced me and my pastoral ministry. I majored in sociology, minored in psychology in college, and I've said publicly more than once that Pilgrim's Progress is the best book on psychology that I know. Mm. Bunyan understands human nature, Mm -hmm. and he just puts it out there allegorically. I remember a couple years ago we had an intern at the church, and uh, we we usually have our interns read uh, about two books a week, and probably a month or so into the internship, and you asked him the question one day at lunch, you know, what has been the most helpful book? And I forget what answer he gave because it wasn't as important as the answer he gave <laughs> to the next question, which was, what has been the least helpful book? And he said, The Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> 
Tom was just jaw dropped. <laughs> he said, I, it's not like it's been bad. It's just maybe not the most helpful. So you made him read it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Either that or get fired. You know, one of the yeah. Two. yeah. And I think he came back and said, you know, yeah, I, I realized I wasn't getting it uh-huh. uh, if I remember properly. But um, this book, it, it's the most widely distributed book ever produced in the English language. Mm-hmm. And next to the Bible, to the Bible. Yeah. It's the most widely uh, read book in English. Of course, English, the Bible wasn't produced in English. And um, Bunyan wrote it when he was in prison. Mm. He was in prison because of his unwillingness to say he would stop preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. So they actually told him, if you'll just sign this statement, I think they hung the statement outside his prison cell, uh, you'll just sign this promising not to preach the gospel, we'll let you go. And he wouldn't do it. He, he wouldn't do it, which, you know, uh, thank goodness he didn't have COVID to contend with. He, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You might never have gotten out of prison. Um, and, and the the book was so well received that there was a uh, a clamor for part two because he didn't tell the story of Christiana, the, mm-hmm. the wife and the children mm-hmm. that Christian left behind. So if you're not familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory. And it describes the life of a person who is converted from the city of destruction and makes his way to the celestial city. And so Bunyan uses allegory to describe different uh, seasons, challenges, opportunities, blessings in the life of a Christian. Mm -hmm. And he uses the names of characters in order to identify people that we meet in the world as well as uh, people in our own um, experience as Christians. And so it's, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say are some of your favorite parts of Pilgrim's Progress? Um, I think, I, I think I have a three, I'm not sure which one I would say is the, is my most favorite two of which are just, you know, tear jerkers as you, as you read them. Um, one is when Christian is in Vanity Fair, that whole mm, scene yeah. going through Vanity Fair. Uh, the second would be probably in Doubting Ca- Castle, yeah. Um, and then the third is as they're crossing the river of death. Yeah, um, they enter into Beulah Land and as they go go over. I think that all three of those, eh, man, you just think about all the different things that Christian goes through. I mean, he goes to the mountain and Moses the top of the mountain and <laughs> beats him. The, the slew of despond. I mean, everything in it. There's just something for a Christian at, at, at every point. Yeah. Um, and if there's not something for you at that point in Christian's journey, at this point in your life, well, you and your journey will get to that point that's where right. it'll be helpful for you. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember when our children were young, uh, the favorite children's version of Pilgrim's Progress that we read to them is called Dangerous Journey. And it's you know a big book, hard uh, back book, and it's got graphic uh, portraits in mm-hmm. there that are drawn. And, and you know it's a little bit frightening for some kids, but our kids loved it. We wore out, I think, three copies reading mm-hmm. it to our kids, reading it to my grandkids now. And um, we would often talk to them in just our family devotional times or, or just in, in incidental times, you know, where are you on your pilgrim's progress? Mm-hmm. Where are you on your pilgrim's progress? And I remember at least with one of my kids that it was a conversation that was provoked by that question that resulted in her conversion. I mean, she mm-hmm. you know, was dealing with her own heart and soul. And uh, it's just good. You know, they, they can identify with the story. Children love the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a, uh, a p- vacation Bible school based on Pilgrim's Progress. Some of our members wrote the, cu- <clears throat> the curriculum for us years ago. 
and it was very successful. We had kids from the community uh, coming in, and we had parents calling us afterwards, you know, what is this? Where did you get this? Uh, their kids are coming home and, and dressing up as various characters, going out in the backyard and trying to reenact scenes from Pilgrim's Progress. So children love the story, but the theology of it is so rich. Mm-hmm. Like uh, what you were talking about, Vanity Fair. I mean, mm-hmm. that I think Bunyan introduced that phrase to the English language. I believe Mm -hmm. that's the first time it's used. And uh, the scenes there in the trial that is held and it's a kangaroo court against Christians and faithful is executed Mm -hmm. for his faith. Uh, Bunyan's is so realistic. Doubting Castle, it's one of my favorites as well. Um, Bunyan has Christian and hopeful, ensnared by giant despair, thrown into the dungeon, Doubting Castle, and he beats them. You know, he beats them with a cudgel, and so they're just like an inch away from death. Well, that's what doubt and despair and mm-hmm. depression can do to a person. Yeah. And then he, he says, make an end of yourselves. And he gives them three ways to kill themselves. I think he gives them a noose and a knife and poison, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. He says, go ahead, make an end of yourself. What's Bunny's talking about? Suicide. Yeah. I mean, in, in his own life, he, he struggled with severe depression at times before God really gave him a fresh assurance and, and set him free. And sometimes as Christians, we, we get a little squeamish talking about these things. Well, yeah. Bunyan's got it all right there. Yeah. And then they get out of Doubting Castle because they remember they have a key yeah. in their pocket. It's Promise. right there the whole time. Always there. They just forgot about it. You know, I, I use Pilgrim's Progress in counseling, mm. in pastoral counseling. So folks that have been in the church or have known me and, and that sat down with me to talk through uh, various issues, um, many of them you will, if you talk to them, they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember. You know, I'll just go pull this off the shelf and uh, read sections. And one that I probably have read more than any other is when Christian, he, he's become a Christian, he's got his armor you know, he's, he's fitted for the Christian life now. So he's on the journey, and he's fresh on the pathway with all of his new armor, and he meets Apollyon, that foul fiend. And so Apollyon's the devil. He's a dragon. He's very graphically described, mm-hmm. and he straddles the pathway. So there's no way Christian is going to go forward without having to do battle spiritually with the devil, which that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in spiritual warfare with enemies that hate us. And so uh, Christian thinks, well, if I turn around and run, I don't have any armor for my back. So I don't have anything to do except to stand and fight. And before the fight begins, at least graphically, it it begins subtly. And Mm -hmm. this is the way the devil deals with us. He puts doubts in our minds. He makes accusations, which is his name. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so he begins to say, but, you know, so you've already betrayed your king Said you, uh, when you talk about your life, you 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 have vain glory. You want people to think highly of you, and and you lost uh, your uh, scroll, and you slept when you shouldn't have slept, and he just makes all these accusations. Like you call yourself a Christian, Mm -hmm. you're not faithful to your Lord. And what do you do whenever those doubts come to your mind? Whenever those accusations come, what do you do? So often, we try to fight it by saying. Well, but I'm better than he is, or you know, I didn't go all the way, or uh, I'm going to do better tomorrow. Self-justification. Yeah, we do all that. But listen to what Bunyan puts in the mouth of Christian. This is what all Christians need to learn in talking to the devil and responding to those doubts. Here's what Christian says to the accusations. 
All this is true and much more which you have left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides these shortcomings possessed me in your country, where I participated in them and groaned under their weight, I have been sorry for these things and have now received pardon by my prince. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I, again, as a pastor, more than once, trying to help people that I know really well. I don't do this with folks that I don't know well, and I'm not sure they can handle it, but people who know me, and I know them, we've, we've walked together in the Christian life for a while. Whenever they're being overwhelmed with fear and condemnation and just their sin is so uh, ever-present in their mind, and, and it's just one of those seasons where mm-hmm. everything is dark, and I'm talking to them and trying to draw them out and helping them to talk about, yeah, but I'm this, and I'm not that, and I've done this, and I didn't do that, and and it's all real. It's all real. Uh, whenever they're kind of at the finish point of uh, expressing those things, uh, I'll say something like this to them. I said, you know what? I, I've got some really good news for you. I said, as bad as you understand yourself to be, you're really worse. Mm. You're worse than you know, and that tends to bring people up short, like, yeah, I thought you were going to help me. <laughs> you know, I want to feel better about myself. Well, the way you feel better about yourself is to realize, yeah, uh, you're just scratching the surface of your wickedness, but the prince whom you serve is full of mercy mm-hmm. and forgives, and your righteousness is in Christ. So get off the ground of trying to feel better about yourself if you were a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Or don't look for people who will tell you, oh, you're not that bad. They're not going to help you. Yeah, Believe what the Bible says is, yeah, you are a depraved sinner but Christ loves you. He shed his blood for you in him. You're completely forgiven and counted righteous. Yeah. It's the, it's the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee who tries to feel better about himself because all the good things he's done and all the bad things he hasn't done. And uh, the tax collector doesn't try to justify himself one bit. He just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of them goes home justified. Uh, so it's, we don't, we don't go home justified because we justify ourselves, but because God has justified mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We wanted to make you aware of a new title that's coming out here shortly at Founders Press. This is Serious Joy, Reflections and Devotions on Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions, a book by Pastor Joey Tomlinson. In this book, uh, Joey introduces the readers to Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions and goes over each of them in detail and gives supporting scripture references for each of them. So it's a wonderful opportunity for Christians to be able to be introduced to Jonathan Edwards and also a wonderful introduction to his 70 resolutions. If you'd like to pre order this new title, you can do so at founders.org. You know, uh, one of my favorite characters is found in part two, and uh, it's Valiant for Truth. Mm. And I love the name. I mean, who doesn't if Mm. you're a Christian or certainly if you're in Christian ministry, Valiant for Truth, because we all want to be Valiant for Truth. And we meet this guy when Greatheart is taking Christiana and the children to the celestial city, uh, they're following what Christian's path uh, had left for them. And they hear uh, this battle and they, they come upon this guy and he's bloody and he's armored and he's got a sword in his hand. And so Bunyan describes him, you know, like a, he's a, he's a, a warrior. He's a warrior who's just engaged in a deadly combat. Mm-hmm. And so when they, they ask him what's going on, uh, um, Valiant for Truth says, yeah, I've just 
fought with these three ruffians, you know, these, these three criminals who laid upon me. So they came to me. They told me that I needed to cast my lot with them. And I said, no, you know, I've been serving Christ too long. I'm not going to do that. Well, then you better turn back because otherwise we're going to uh, kill you. We're going to take your life. And he said, well, said, you know, I, I'm not holding my life precious, and you better beware of what you're doing because I'm on the king's highway. And so with that sword of the Spirit, he engages in this battle for hours until they finally flee. And he says, you can see what they've done to me, but I can tell you that I inflicted some wounds on them too. And he names those three characters. See if I can remember them in, in the original that uh, Bunyan gave it to us. They're wildhead, uh, pragmatic, and officious, I think that's it. Or maybe officious might be the, the modern rendition of Wildhead Pragmatic, or that's the one for pragmatic. Anyway, I, I forget the three ruffians' names. Wildhead is one of them, and uh, officiousness is a second one, and I'm sorry I can't remember the third one right now. But you, you think about these enemies. You know, oh, yeah, man, that's what we've got to be fighting. Well, what Bunyan's point is is those enemies live within his own heart. Mm. These are things that everyone who's valiant for truth has to guard against mm-hmm. because the the greatest strength of those who are valiant for truth can become their greatest weakness. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to stand for truth, and so any little deviation from truth that I see in you, I'm going to correct. Well, mm-hmm. you're just acting uh, like somebody who's going to get in everybody else's business yeah. when you shouldn't, or you're going to be wild because you see something and you believe it, and so you're going to act uh, in a manner that is not becoming those who are genuinely valiant for truth. Um, so there, there's just people like that, Mr. Looking Both Ways, <laughs> you know, buy-ins. I mean, uh, some of the other characters, um, Little Faith. Here's a, here's a question, I, you know, that I think is often asked about um, part one of Pilgrim's Progress is where is, it, where is Christian's conversion? Where does it take place? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think what my understanding of this, and again, there, I've heard of one uh, Bible college in one of their religion classes was studying Pilgrim's Progress for the semester, and they got into such strong arguments and contention that they had to disband the class. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, this has been debated. But, and I, in fact, when we were getting ready to do VBS for Pilgrim's Progress, we wanted to do it. We saw an advertisement in a Christian magazine saying that a curriculum had been developed, so we bought it, mm-hmm. got it here. And I'm reading through it, and the author says, one thing you need to understand is John Bunyan didn't really understand grace, and so you just oh, have to no. take that to heart. Well, my goodness, we shipped it up, you know, boxed it up, shipped it back, <laughs> and I wrote a letter, a pretty strong letter. Why would you uh, do a VBS curriculum with somebody who doesn't understand I, grace? You know, I'm thinking, you don't understand Bunyan. You don't understand Pilgrim's Progress. So I think what Bunyan does is he explodes the... Uh, experience of salvation yeah. so that you get different dimensions of yeah. it. And if you try to read it sequentially, mm-hmm. you're going to get into the same trouble that if you try to do that in what the Bible teaches, yeah. you know, which comes first faith or new birth. Well, you know, it's like a bullet fired into a, a two by four, which mm-hmm. comes first, the hole or the bullet. <laughs> I'll let you take whichever side you want to. I'll argue the other side, you yeah. know, because what we're talking about here is something that occurs in, in terms of sequence, sequential time simultaneously, mm-hmm. but one causes the other. Mm-hmm. One causes the other. And so we understand the Bible to teach that the new birth creates faith. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the new birth happens Monday and faith is created Wednesday. Right. It's not that. And so Bunyan, I, I think, shows at the wicket gate. He's brought into the wicket gate. So mm-hmm. now he is... Um, 
ensconced by the walls of salvation. Mm-hmm. So he's not going anywhere. He's not going to be lost mm-hmm. because he's been born again. But through the whole process of coming to the cross, seeing what Christ has done for him, the burden being released from his back, and going down into that uh, hill where the open tomb is, representing the resurrection of Christ. Well, sure, that's representing his justification, his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But it's not like in the Christian life, one's on Monday, one's on Wednesday. Yeah. These are things that happen simultaneously. Bunyan blows them apart so that we can look at them in more uh careful detail in an allegorical way. Yeah, yeah. my wife and I have had this conversation several times. Um, and I think another thing that can be helpful about it is that it, it really does, everyone's conversion looks differently. Yeah. Um, and people will experience it differently and there will be different things, which at least in our minds are kind of priorities in our conversion and that aren't priorities in another person's conversion. Um, and I think there's something there for every Christian, you know, when they think about their own conversion, you can kind of look at different points along Christian's life and say, yeah, I mean, that's me. That's where I really came to a recognition of like my own state in Christ. Uh, and so I think it's helpful in that way, whether you're looking at it from the perspective of the wicked gate, or you're looking at it from the perspective of coming to the cross and the burden falling off. Um, I think there's something there for everyone who has a, may, may have a different conversion experience. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. The, it's, it is always the same working of God, the same grace of God, um, but we experience that in different ways, and we think about it in different ways. And that's important. It's important uh, in your own Christian life and relationships, but especially so for pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. because some people will hear a testimony of somebody like the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on the road to Damascus, as he tells it twice in the book of Acts, and this blinding light, voice of the Lord, struck down, blinded. Uh, well, if you ask somebody, hey, when was Paul converted? You know, they're all going to talk about the Damascus Road experience. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you hear that kind of testimony, and that's all you know of how God saves sinners, you're going to be looking for that Damascus Road experience. Maybe I'm not converted because I've never had that experience. Exactly. But then if you ask, okay, when was Timothy converted? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> you know, from a child. He, yeah. he knew the scriptures that are able to make you wise to salvation. And so this is helpful for us. We know there's a point in time that God brings a person across mm-hmm. from spiritual death to spiritual life, but that's not always perceptible. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if Lydia knew when the Lord opened her heart. Luke doesn't tell us when he writes about that in Acts that it was a dramatic event. He just describes the after effects that demonstrate, okay, Uh, God has done this, and Luke says the Lord opened her heart to Mm -hmm. uh, give attention to the things that Paul was preaching. So we need to be careful pastorally Mm -hmm. and not inadvertently setting up a paradigm. And and even when testimonies are being shared, we need to be careful not to say, you need to have this kind of testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) When I was in seminary, there was a <clears throat> a man who had played football for the University of Georgia, and he had a very dramatic testimony. And a lot of his friends uh, talked about jokingly, uh, half serious but jokingly, how many of them and their friends would share his testimony because it was so much better than their own, <laughs> <you know? laughs> because it had all the you know the stuff before and, and uh-huh. the, the radical change. And um, yeah, so the understanding salvation the way it works, and it works in everyone who might have experiences that differ from each other. You can get that from Bunyan.
Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ. And Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference. And we'll also have a special guest, Allie Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. I think there's also a lesson we can learn from the Pilgrim's Progress that doesn't even necessarily come from the story itself, but the fact that it is a story. Uh, The fact that it is narrative and there's so much there for the Christian soul to latch on to and learn from. I think sometimes we forget that in um, kind of evangelical Protestant circles. We're so didactic in our teaching methods, which is there's definitely a place for that. But we forget how much more effective story can be Mm. in teaching and in shaping hearts into virtuous God honoring hearts. I mean, and this should be so obvious to us because most of the Bible comes to us in narrative form. That's yeah. the way in which God teaches us, um, and so I, I think I think Bunyan latches on to the effectiveness of story in training and forming uh, human souls, and I think we could we could do with a little bit more of that today. Yeah, I agree with you, and uh, this is something that I did not get. I wasn't thinking about early mm. in my pastoral ministry. In later years, uh, God's helped me to see it more clearly. I wish I'd seen it sooner. I wish I saw it better even now. Uh, I'm preaching through Esther, you know, <laughs> as, as you know, mm-hmm. and so it's a great story. Yeah, and it has reminded me in in very impactful ways of what you just said. And there is you know, what theologians have called the the meta narrative of Scripture. You know, mm-hmm. God's telling one big story, but then there are those individual stories that mm-hmm. fit into the overarching story, and that's true of our lives. And mm-hmm. my life is playing a role in this great story that God is telling from the very beginning of time, before time actually, that will continue on into eternity. And so every rock, every twig, every bird, every person has a role to play in that overarching story. Now, preeminent in that overarching story is redemption. The fact that he's the God who saves sinners and this is how he does it. And this is the result when he does it. And so as a Christian, I, I have a role in that as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's like, okay, God's got this big story of what he's doing in his created world and creating the world in order to tell a redemptive story. And he, by grace, has included me in that. He's made Christ known to me. And I have a role to play. And it, it, you know, it's right down here on the corner, the, just the very bar- barely visible edge of the story, but that's my role. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in that. But then that little edge is a story that has lasted thus far 66 years in what he was doing at the beginning, before I was born, the family that he gave me, the parents he gave me, the siblings he gave me, the school I went to, the opportunities I had, the disadvantages I had. And all of that is continuing until my last breath on this earth. Mm-hmm. And when you read the Bible with that understanding that, yeah, okay, God's telling a story here about these greater realities 
that are going to be evident for all of eternity, and they include these lesser realities, individual lives and church lives and family lives, uh, it does transform the way you think mm-hmm. about your own life and how you read the Bible. Yeah. So I, one last question. Um, what would you say to a person who reads the Pilgrim's Progress and says that they just came away from it feeling cold? Well, I would say read it again. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not the Bible, so it's not not inspired uh, at all. But, um, you know, I, I have encouraged people to read it. And as you mentioned about that intern, I've done that with others. You say, I just don't get it. You know, I said, well, that's okay. Read it again. Maybe read a children's version of it, you know, and, and make sure that you're understanding it. Uh, the fact that you don't like the Pilgrim's Progress, that doesn't mean, you know, you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you can't be holy and love Jesus. But it ought to make you stop and wonder, why have so many people throughout history commended this book? Why did uh, uh, Dwight Moody read sections of it to Ira Sankey every night before he would go preach? Why did Spurgeon read it a hundred times? Why did the greatest theologian, arguably, of the Puritan era, John Owen, say he would trade all of his learning if he could preach like Bunyan? Mm. There's something. Why is it the most uh, popular popular book ever written in the English language. I mean, that's not a fluke. Mm-hmm. It's not a fluke. And so if I'm not seeing what the overwhelming majority of Christians who have investigated this book have seen, I want to have the humility to think, well, maybe there's something that is wrong in my perspective. Maybe I'm just missing something. Mm-hmm. So that, again, I would say that as a friend, I wouldn't say that to condemn anybody, but somebody who dismisses it, who says, oh, this is a drag, you know, or this just leaves me cold. Okay. I think that's more of a commentary on that person mm-hmm. than it is on Pilgrim's Progress. Let, let me just read a section. This is an article from uh, Christianity Today mm-hmm. about Pilgrim's Progress. and just commends it. In fact, uh, it ends with this statement, Behold, take and read, know full well that this is indeed a good thing. Um, in the article it says, Pilgrim's Progress has it all. Economists have studied it for its insights into the working class world. Historians have studied it for firsthand vision of life in ancient centuries. Fantasists have studied it for its brilliant evocation of the imagination and theologians have studied it for its translation of complex dogmas and controversies into common comprehensible terms mm. like giant pope you know mm-hmm. i mean there, there's so much mm-hmm. in there and so i'm glad that christianity today has commended pilgrim's progress now you, i need to say this was from 1996 has that been uh, in your <laughs> copy of pilgrim's progress since yeah. 1996 yeah right so uh, anyway um it's just a uh, a good reminder that what God has done for his people throughout history, he um, has blessed us, and we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. John Bunyan is certainly uh, one mm. of the giants of the faith that um, God raised up and gave him fortitude to not be willing to sign a declaration that he would quit preaching the gospel mm. and sit in a uh, prison in Bedford for a dozen years. Mm. and God redeemed those years by giving us this wonderful book. Yeah, and, you know, if you struggle to read the original, there's no shame in that. There's really oh, yeah. good uh, translations. This one here by um, 
Cheryl Ford, Ford is, uh, they call it a retelling of the story, kind of more of a, transla- a translation to update the language. This is a really good addition if you struggle with that old English or uh, Middle English language. Absolutely. And there are some books that are, that are used to introduce it to children as well. Uh, Little Pilgrim's Progress that we have here, I'm, I've read most of that to several of our grandkids. And uh, it's okay. I find myself chafing a little bit, you yeah. know, <laughs> with liberties that they take. Uh, so I'm probably just going to start them in on Cheryl Ford's edition uh, mm-hmm. uh, before too long. But we commend Pilgrim's Progress to you. It's a great book. And uh, we think that if you read it, it was trending recently on Twitter. And so that prompted us to, hey, hey, why don't we talk about the impact that this book has had in our lives? So uh, let me just close with this, that you you will probably be allowed into heaven if you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, but you don't want to take that chance. So go ahead and read it <laughs> and just guarantee that. Of course, I'm kidding with that. But uh, thank you for joining us today on P- the, uh, this is not Pilgrim's this Progress. This is not Pilgrim's Progress. It, 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 it like, is today. It is today. The Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress podcast uh, by Sword and Trial. So we look forward to having you again next time. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is is forgetting. We, We forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.